Welcome to the Leadership Update Brief. Today's entrepreneurs and business leaders face change and transition as a constant part of daily life. Inspired by stories of today's military veterans and service members, we embark on a journey to explore their transformations and equip ourselves with new ideas and motivation towards mastering the challenge of working with dynamic and changing environments. Here's the host of the Leadership Update Brief and the guide to your journey, Ed Brixey. Hello and welcome to the Leadership Update Brief on C-Suite Radio, the world's largest business podcast network. I'm Ed Brixey, and thanks for listening to episode 207, Veterans Helping Veterans. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. We have a great conversation today with Lino Covarrubias about veterans, about programs that we've designed to help them, and about the culture and what it takes to make these programs succeed. So I'm looking forward to jumping straight into this conversation. But first, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast service. Welcome back to the Leadership Update Brief. This is Ed Brixey, and today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Lino Covarrubias, the CEO for JFS Metro West here in Boston. How are you doing today, Lino? It's great. Good. Good to be on, Ed. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Um, so, former Navy guy, and now you've moved into working with JFS. So, tell us a little bit about what you do there and the organization. Yeah, great. Uh, yes, I spent uh, 20 years, uh, 22 years in the Navy active duty. I was prior enlisted. Um, when I uh, moved up the ranks, uh, became an officer, and the rest was history. And then uh, when it was time to, to retire, I was looking for something else to do, as so many of us uh, had been lifers in the military do. And, uh, you know, my background, I had a lot of experience with weapon systems, so I thought I was going to end up in, in a company like Raytheon, uh, defense contracting. But I kept looking, and uh, all of a sudden, this whole world of nonprofit kind of uh, just came across my mouth by total mistake. I wasn't just by the nature of the terminology nonprofit. Uh, it sounds like it's, you can't make a living, right? It's mostly run by volunteers. And my wife had said uh, when I retired and I told her, oh, great, I'm going to go uh, fishing and drink beer up in Maine. And she goes, no, you're not. We have two kids to, to uh, put through, through college. So you need a, need another full-time job. Your pension won't, won't cut it. So uh, that's uh, how I really started looking at uh, different areas of employment and the world nonprofit really came across. Uh, first of all, from I'd been really involved. One of my last duty stations was here in Boston uh, with uh, recruiting. And I ran uh, recruiting operations uh, through New England. And uh, I'd been involved with uh, several veterans groups trying to help them out. And I saw that there was a lot of, you know, aside from, you know, the issues with mental health with our, with our service members and their families, um, it was hard for them to get jobs because their resumes, you know, if you're a mortar operator, they would put on their mortar operator and, and civilians would look at that and say, well, what type of mortar, you know, diesel or, <laughs> so it was, it became apparent that, you know, our veterans, uh, even though corporate America, even now still says, you know, we're hiring veterans, uh, they're not recruiting for them right? They're not out. It's just a PR 
term for mm-hmm. a lot of companies to say, yes, we're, we care about veterans and, and we're here, but unless you're recruiting them and helping them navigate those, uh, the, the waters, it's really hard for them to really translate those skills. So I started very little, some of the very little involvement in the beginning when I was on still on active duty with some veterans groups. And that gave me a taste of the world of nonprofit. And once I, this job came across for me as I was retiring in the nonprofit sphere, I, I kind of remember the stuff that we had doing with veterans. And, uh, you know, I, I had also heard, you know, there was quite a bit of, and this is uh, over 10 years ago, you know, there's a lot of retirement going on. And one of the things in the nonprofit world is always, you know, having good leadership because you can't compete with corporate America for, you know, quality leadership because they, they pay a lot mm-hmm. more. So, so that's how I, I ended up with in the nonprofit uh, sphere. And I thought I was going to be like, they uh, told us at our, at our transition assistance meetings as we were leaving the military says, Hey, just treat your first job as your first job. There's nothing going to be as great as the, as the military and the people, uh, <laughs> you know, God, God help you. If you go somewhere where there's a labor union, <laughs> Um, and don't expect anybody to ever salute you and say yes or no, sir, uh, or I, sir, because they won't. And so that's what I, I did. I actually thought it was going to be a three-day, a three-year tour, rather, and then do something else. And again, over 10 years now, uh, I, I love what I do. I'll tell you, nonprofits, you hear about NGOs throughout the world, non-government organizations doing great things. But even here in America, one of our, you know, one of the wealthiest countries in the world, uh, nonprofits fill in the gap. You know, there's a lot of uh, safety net issues that are not covered by state government or federal government or city government or municipalities. It's nonprofits that right, just right now, this whole deal with the pandemic, it's us nonprofits that are really have the skills and know-how how to respond to, to basic needs, um, things that people need right away from food to medical uh, to toilet paper, uh, toiletries. You know, we're uniquely designed to be able to respond to those areas. And, and we've seen our, you know, some government, some states mm-hmm. uh, have been better at responding than others. So uh, it's great work. It's really, it pretty much reminds me of uh, all the work that we used to do in the Navy for humanitarian operations all over the world, Africa mm-hmm. in particular. It's pretty much uh, what keeps me still um, really excited about this type of work no exactly it's fantastic work to be doing and the services especially now with the coronavirus having that frontline support and it goes beyond just the basic medical because when you're out of work or you see yourself furloughed it's okay how do we make sure we keep the roof over the head the food on the table the um and just the basics it's so critical that's right and even the even the smartest I have seen some of the smartest people really break down during crisis. I mean, when you're, when really crisis befalls you, you stop thinking and you, you basically need help. And I've seen it so many times. Mm -hmm. I actually came on board in 2009. Uh, So I am very familiar with this situation where markets start uh, getting hit and, you know, it's a snowball effect financially. You know, first you have whatever caused the issue, in this case, a virus. Mm -hmm. But it's really the the wake, the financial distress wake that the coronavirus is going to leave. It's really going to hurt folks. Uh, I mean, we're planning, uh, you know, for a year, planning for a whole year of people mm-hmm. really needing our assistance at at this, at this level. 
and you know making sure we have the funding the expertise to be able to execute on that that's what i'm uh, spending a lot of time on right now oh i, I can imagine because i mean it's you look at the news and i mean we try to keep this topical but i mean recently even companies like TripAdvisor in boston shutting down and laying off 900 people just yesterday yeah. is you know there's 12 months from now that need is still going to be around because it's such a again it goes back to those core needs and those core services that you guys help provide what's um so for your client members what do you like to see to help build up some of that resiliency what's something that a veteran in crisis that you help provide the services what's the number one thing that once that safety net's in place once that hand up has been given what's the number one thing that helps get them out of that yeah it's a great question uh we're it's all about how to teach uh somebody how to fish rather than having to provide the fish for them you hear that quite a bit and that's really our our model is to be, empower people to to reach stability we never we never talk about sustainability sustainability is really you know we always you hear the financial experts saying, hey, you should have six months of expenses saved up and you should be you know, saving for retirement. Uh, uh, for those who are fortunate to be in that situation, that's sustainability because you have six months. What we try to reach is stability. And stability is somebody who, mm -hmm. who's out of crisis, out of a vulnerable situation. Many times it's really impossible to, to uh, not have them be in between a vulnerable situation and stability. But uh, that's the goal. The goal is that we empower clients to, to help themselves because it's just, there's just so much need. And, and people want that. People don't want handouts to be continually coming to them. They want to be able to, to handle situations. They want to make sure their, their families are safe. And, and, and particularly, we, we use our connections uh, to you know, redu reduce inequities, uh, particularly in the immigrant community we do a lot of work with. That, you know they don't have any contacts so mm -hmm. you know i i just been amazed at the you know we've been helping some families with rent uh and uh, the what they're paying uh for not so great conditions it's just a it's just a you know it's you know it's mind mind-boggling mm -hmm. why because they can't afford you know a mortgage you can't it's so so again we we try to use our connections and try to get them into you know safer more uh cost-effective living situations. Eastern Massachusetts is a very high cost of living situ um, area as it is. Uh, so, but using our connections to, to reduce that inequities that many of them uh, face on a continued basis. No, certainly. And that's, that's incredibly, incredibly valuable work within that community. And it's, yeah, the inequities exist. And when you are in this high cost of living environment, it, it almost seems to exacerbate that a little bit. Exactly. So, yeah. Early on, you talked about veterans, and it's the veteran population is it's surprising the amount of transition assistance out there. But it's like you said earlier, there's a lot of people that say we love hiring veterans, but then you have that veteran that you know they were an eleven Charlie, a mortarman, and I was a mortarman, and that's on their resume. And that where's the where does that disconnect lead to? And how can we address some of those root issues where yes, companies do like to hire, but okay, help, helping companies understand what these resumes are. And, you know, like you go beyond the transition assistance to helping them craft a better resume is as equally important so that they're both maybe not speaking the same language, but there's better translation from one to the other. <laughs> Great. It is really back to the, to this whole concept of inequity. Again, back to the veterans coming off active duty. 
they go back home, many of them back to their home of record. Uh, and you know, they don't know anybody. So, and how do you translate the, their experience, as you mentioned, into something that at least opened the door? I think, uh, I always tell folks that are looking for, for, for really good people, I said, hire veterans because they, you know, they're, they're, you know, they follow orders, they, they're disciplined and they've had at least four years of, uh, of very constant supervision. That's, that's something you don't get in, in the regular workforce. And, um, I think it's just, there's been a stigma, right? To a veterans that everybody says, Oh, maybe there's mental health issues and they're going to freak out at, at work. And that's not true at all. And, you know, we have, mm -hmm. I think the, the VA has been doing a, doing a fantastic job of, of helping veterans, uh, how to cope. I mean, they're great hires. I, you know, I, I keep pushing, mm -hmm. uh, folks and particularly nonprofit, because I think that's something that veterans don't think about unless it's a veterans group, uh, to be able to work in the world of nonprofit because we, we need good, good leadership and, and those, those skills that, I mean, the nonprofit, you're always, it's always, you know, you're rocking and rolling all the time because that's what you have to do. No, certainly. And it's giving, it's every employer I know wants somebody who can show up for work on time. And if you've successfully completed, right. <laughs> completed an honorable tour in the military, you're used to showing up at work on time. And exactly the right. early on time, <laughs> early is on time, on time is late. You know, you've done enough push-ups around that where you've, it's gotten ingrained into almost your personality and the way you like to work at that point. But it does, like you said earlier too, the vet coming down to vets helping vets and building that community, helping build some of those bridges. Because if a guy comes home after a tour of active duty, yes, he's not really going to know anybody. But if he has that community to fall back into of other veterans who've been through that similar experience, that's can help steer them tremendously. Yeah, and a program I've started at Mass Bay is uh, particularly business. Right, there's a lot of work in business. Mm -hmm. You know, Mass Bay is a very popular uh, college for for the GI Bill, because as you know, the GI Bill, you get a, a living allowance. And of course, Mass mm -hmm. Bay is in Wellesley, Massachusetts. So that zip code, you know, so you have students from all over the region going to Mass Bay to get their initial requirements done because you mm -hmm. get a good living allowance out of it. And uh, of course, you know, you ask everybody there, hey, what do you want to be? I want to be a policeman or firefighter. And when you look at the number of availabilities in, in this area, for those jobs there aren't that many right they, i mean even though mm -hmm. there's retirements going on uh so much of it is also even with with your you know military preference uh a lot of it too is who you know right if you're the the you know the lieutenant or police chief's uh, relative you're gonna get a better shot at getting a, a academy slot so and and veterans are so perfect for business right there's in business mm -hmm. you need discipline and so what we started though, this program at Mass Bay is to expose, you know, veterans to what it's like to be a suit, right? Because everybody, I remember the first time I went to Mass Bay to pitch this, they were like, I don't want to be a suit, right? I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a suit. Uh, I don't want to be a cake eater. I want to, I want to be, you know, out there, you know, saving lives as a firefighter, a policeman. But when you look at the job opportunities, they aren't that many. Uh, and business mm -hmm. has thousands of opportunities in, in greater Boston. So, so we've been, you know, how do you proceed? You expose them to what it's like, you know, to work in, in a, in a finance center, right. Then, mm -hmm. uh, it's just exposing them, you know, breaking some of those, those perceptions of what people with quote suits do on a daily basis. When they find out how much they make, they go, Whoa, mm -hmm. yep. that's, 
that that's, helps too. That's, that's a pretty good coin, and yeah, it mm-hmm. is, and and you could be part of that that that, that program. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I'll, I will completely admit that I just sort of fell into business. I was going back to school after my term and was like, ah, this seems like it'd be general enough that I could apply to just about anything coming out of it. So a uh, business major. And it, it worked out well for me. But it's, yeah, exposing a lot of guys, it's something you don't really think of, especially, you know, I was combat arms and coming out, it's like, oh, what do I, where do, how do my skills even apply? I'm, you know, I'm a bullet catcher or, you know, or I'm an MP that's automatically going to make me into the police, put me into the police force or, but, you know, you look at the dynamics for the jobs that we had and the leadership and the way we've worked together, the team building, and especially if we found ourselves in supervisory roles, it's exactly what we want in business today. I agree. So mm-hmm. the other, the other program that um, absolutely fascinated with how, how you've managed to put together is and this is um, how we first met was your work with the uh, brothers for life organization out of Israel. And let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned, I'd been involved with a bunch of veteran groups uh, locally. And uh, one of my good friends, uh, Larry Tobin, who at the time was working for combined Jewish philanthropies in Boston, reached out and said, Hey, I got, I got one of my, my good friends that is thinking of bringing the, uh, the, uh, our, our, their version in Israel of Wounded Warriors out here to the U.S. and do, and do a, t- a tour throughout the country. And uh, really, it's a therapy model for those, those injured soldiers from Israel to come out and, 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 and not only promote Israel with all these different organizations, but also meet veterans. Uh, particularly veterans that have also had injuries because that's that's a therapy model uh, as many of us know you know combat veterans really you know mm-hmm. if uh, they get us hey how did you get injured they go they don't I don't want to talk about it but when two veterans get together have been injured they talk about it right because there's this mutual understanding so mm-hmm. uh, he said do you think you could put some some you know veterans together to meet uh, and I said I think that's a great idea and he says and we think that the Kraft family is willing to sponsor the first one at Gillette Stadium. And I said, oh, well, that's fantastic. So I reached out to the different uh, groups that I know in the area and, and particularly the, the ones, uh, uh, many of, there's all these different groups that are, that are charged and funded to take care of veterans. And so I reached out to some of them and because it was Gillette, uh, it seemed like it was a perfect way to particularly get some of those, uh, uh, military members that are isolated because that's the worst thing that could happen uh, mm-hmm. for, for, for a veteran, particularly if there might've been some PTSD or some other, some other issues for them to be isolated because that's when bad things happen. So, you know, and it's really hard to get those folks to go to a group or a coffee. They're like, forget it. I don't want to go. I don't want to leave my house. Mm-hmm. But when we said Gillette, you can get, you're going to be able to tour the locker room. You're going to be able to eat in their dining room and maybe you'll meet some players. It really, I mean, it was a really nice tool uh, for our local uh, folks to be able to to get some of those those uh, you know uh, service members that that uh, that they're they're having problems getting out. So that was like the first thing. Uh, it, we our first, uh, I think it was five years ago now, where we we had a we had a great response. I, uh, I went through the through the Army's AW2s, what they called. Uh, and also the Marine Corps, 
the Army and Marine Corps are the ones that have the most, you know, wounded warriors in our area. And uh, and certainly I didn't leave any of the uh, the other services out, but they had they have the biggest numbers, of course, because of the direct mm-hmm. combat uh, uh, jobs. And uh, we had our first one, and uh, it was really so interesting to to see you know these these two groups come together you know different countries different language but a you know common you know uh, circumstance that happened and uh, the first one was just it was just so uh, powerful and we were lucky it was so powerful because that really engaged uh the craft family basically they said we'll we'll sponsor this one every year is uh, one of the Israelis had had a similar injury than one of our wounded warriors uh, here in the U.S. and and it was uh, caused by an IED and is basically you know basically uh, taking out an ankle and and really making it impossible to do certain things. They had almost exact same injury and they got to talk to talking to each other, and uh, and our U.S. wounded warrior was able um, to to walk up those uh, the benches at the stadium and. The Israeli was like, how's that possible? I can't do that. And uh, I remember the guy hopping out and went down his knees and took out this piece of plastic that was basically stabilizing um, his ankle. And the Israeli was like, that's what's doing it? And he said, yeah, this is what's doing it. And basically it was something that that was uh, perfected at Walter Reed. There's been a lot of innovation, of course, at Walter mm-hmm. Reed with, with injuries. Uh, but it doesn't get out to, you know, our international partners. Uh, and that was like an aha moment. What happened after that, uh, we were able to put uh, the, you know, Brothers for Life, the Israelis in contact with the company that was now making it. Uh, and they got a bunch of them. And, and these, cool. pla- I mean, it was like life changing for this one soldier from Israel. And it was so it was more than just a therapy model, a nice event. It all of a sudden became a like almost like a mission to keep doing this and and we've been doing it every year uh where normally we get 12 israeli wounded warriors through the brothers for life program to come out to the u.s and uh you know they do uh normally they do a two two or three cities uh it's, it's very tasking for them uh, most of them uh, mm-hmm. you know they, they had some pretty serious injuries and they can uh you know they have some long days and they're they're exhausted but uh, we don't know this year uh, because of uh, COVID-19, if we're going to be able to do it. Uh, I, uh, I know normally by now the, the program coordinator calls me and says, hey, let's, let's, it's showtime again. And I go, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know. But it's uh, regardless, I mean, we, if we have to take a year off. <clears throat> uh, we'll do so. But it, it's uh, such a powerful program. And, and I think this is, uh, these are different programs. There's, there's so many of these uh, that uh, the different services are running, the VA, uh, these, these models, um, you know, different than therapy models instead of, you know, being on a couch and there's nothing wrong with that, but, but there's certain people don't want that. And, and this really has been able, there's been another tool in the toolbox of the different uh, caregivers to be able to, you know, get those uh, isolated uh, service members out and to talk you know once you talk about start talking again about what, what happened they're more likely to open up to other services mm-hmm. exactly it's such a powerful tool and it is it goes right back to that feeling of community camaraderie and being able to say hey wow you went through the exact same thing that i did it's there it's nothing that builds a more powerful bridge between two people like that 
So I'm incredibly, I'm, I love hearing stories that that outreach, like with that one small piece out of Walter Reed and making that connection to help others. It's, you don't get much better than that. Right. And it just, things happen that way. And I think that's why you, what you do uh, is create opportunity, right? Or at least the situations mm -hmm. where opportunity can, can in fact uh, happen. And I'm really proud of our, our local Boston uh, Veterans Collaborative. Um, you know, it's been really, that's been one of the mainstays in the last, you know, five to six years because we've had so many conflicts uh, overseas for such a long time, right? The, the, the mm -hmm. dwell has been, you know, soldiers and Marines being out there, you know, this is my fourth time. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, you can only take so much uh, as far as being out in the field and, and creating an opportunity. And I think the Boston uh, Vet Veterans Collaborative has really done a fantastic job of, of bringing everybody together, not only the, the federal mm -hmm. systems like the VA, but also all of us who have co uh, contacts. And, you know, there's a lot of little nonprofits out there. And I'll give you an example of one that was another one of those aha moments. <clears throat> we had a, a Boston Collaborative and everybody talks about different services. And one of the biggest needs, uh, as you would imagine, and particularly serve, mem serve members with kids, is childcare. So, mm. uh, you know, they're trying to go to the GI Bill or have a part-time job GI Bill, but they have kids, and, and childcare is really expensive. And no one had a fund that was that was designated to help, uh, you know, uh, service members with childcare. And then all of a sudden, this nonprofit out of Plymouth, Massachusetts. Uh, said, uh, I have some great news. We have funding for childcare for, for service members. We're like, wow, where did that come from? And what happens a lot of times is, you know, people put in their will, you know, they, they bequeath money and they put in their will because maybe they're exposed to a family member or a friend that was a, that was a service member. And this particular uh, individual left, uh, you know, quite a few dollars uh, and, and it was particularly earmarked to help veterans with childcare. That we're trying to complete their GI Bill, and and we that's were awesome. like, wow. I mean, some people were like just jumping up and down because that's that's a huge barrier. I see at Mass Bay where some of the, some of them just go so slow, and why you you know why are you going so slow with your degree? It's like my kids, I can't. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. it's uh, it is what it is, and many times, uh, particularly families with uh, two service members, you know, the combat stress, you know pulls that family apart and there's a lot of divorce so you know higher rate of course than regular americans mm -hmm. and so that creates stress for the family so little things like that and this collaborative has, yeah. has, has made it so we can all communicate and and basically it's co it's coordination of of resources uh, and uh the collaborative is almost at the point that it, already put in for a uh, it's already i believe been granted a 501 501c3 uh, and then soon they're going to have an actual staff, right? An executive director and some awesome. staff. So it's more than just a collaborative. It's going to be an actual, mm -hmm. you know, agency. Yep. That's, that's great work. That's great work hearing about for the veterans collaborative. Been to a few of their meetings and it is, it's outstanding to see some of them coming together and it's just all the different service providers in that network. That's right. What would you say is sort of a parting question? What are some of those, because you've been in this field for so long now you've had, and you've seen so many different successes, what would you say are some of the best practices for the out, 
conducting some of those outreach, meeting some of those needs and delivering services? Yeah, um, it, it's all retail. It's all relationship building, right? You can't, uh, it can't be done wholesale. So you really have to look at, at uh, you know, what does uh, an organization yourself or also an organization you know is trying to it's trying to trying to accomplish and then retail you know, so we all we always had discussions about you know coordinating uh forces and resources and care and uh it's all about talking to different organizations it's important to figure out what their goals are and what our goals are and try to figure out a mutual spot where we can work together because i think a lot of organizations currently uh, particularly with veterans that are trying to do great things sometimes have a certain focus uh, it could be mental health uh, but there's nothing you know but they have may, maybe have no other focus on basic needs so that's where mm -hmm. so working together I think that's the the uh, really important thing and particularly in times like this and I saw in 2009 that there's a lot of you know there'll be a lot of uh, organizations that are going to be really financially stressed to stay you know, to be able to stay alive, basically, as mm -hmm. agencies. So, you know, trying to figure out early uh, how we can help. And I'm doing that as, as you know, as we speak, uh, is is trying to figure out what everybody else is doing. How, how, can they sustain it? And how can we then, if they're not able to sustain it, so it doesn't just completely fall off, so those populations don't fall off the radar completely. Um, but... It's, it's all about retail. Best practice is, is, is reaching out, um, always staying on top of what's going on. Um, for, for nonprofits, it's always about ability to raise funds, uh, whether it's through donors, uh, private donors, which uh, is for us is the biggest percentage, but also keeping the tabs on you know, state funding. We all know this new, new fiscal mm -hmm. year with the Commonwealth is just going to be not good. So, you know, I'm already not betting on a lot of funds from the Commonwealth and how can then, how can I take then, the, I do a lot of, we do a lot of work with older adults with the Commonwealth, keeping them safe at home and, and facilities that those funds, for example, are not going to be available. We're not going to just walk away. That's not, that's not what mm -hmm. we do, but working with other partners and say, all right, how do we work together to try to not have the same level of services, but not totally abandon them because that's not something we want to do. No, exactly. It's it's huge, huge challenge. So thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing out there. We know, appreciate it. For anybody who wants to reach out to get some more information about what you're doing or maybe for the Greater Boston Collaborative, what's what's a good way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, we have a website. Uh, you can just uh, search on uh, JFS Metro West and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll pop up or you can uh, email me as well at L-I-N-O at jfsmw.org. But the best thing is just this website, JFS, uh, Juliet Foxtrot Sierra, MW, Mike W.org. And uh, you can always get a hold of me. And we're always looking for volunteers. We have some great opportunities for people to, to help out if uh, you have the time. And, and certainly, uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of uh, corporate foundations out there, family foundations that have funds that just want to you know they're there to to be used in the community and and if you hear that there's one that's looking for some great causes uh, keep us in mind 
or they're looking for other ones, we have some great partners that I can recommend. So. All right. Great. Thank you so much. Lino. I really appreciate your time on the show today. Thank you, Ed. And right. hopefully we'll see you at a, at a Gillette stadium event soon. I'm looking, I'm looking forward right. to it. All right. Thanks. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. Guino, thank you so much for your time for being on today's podcast. I welcome all of your comments. You can find me on social media, both Twitter and Facebook at BlueCordMGMT or on LinkedIn, search for BlueCord Management. And you can learn more about BlueCord Management, our training and coaching programs at www.BlueCordMGMT.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast. And as always, we're available on C-Suite Radio at c-suitenetwork.com. Thanks again. I look forward to continuing our journey soon. Have a fantastic day. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.